If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to consider the entirety of the chapter, but we're going to read verses 10 through 15 to kind of set the context, to help us understand what's happening here. It's the chapter that covers the events at the Red Sea. As we've continued our series in Exodus, a series entitled Delivered to Dwell, uh, we are seeing the work of God, His presence, sorry, I'm losing and the microphone is winning. Um, Really, am losing. Sorry about this. Um, Anyway, as we are considering the theme of our series, Delivered to Dwell, we find this last gasp effort on the part of the Egyptians to not let the people go, but actually seeking to destroy them. And will Yahweh save them all the way through to the very end, through every threat? Will he bring them through? And that hangs in the balance for us, at least as we read through the story. It does not hang in the balance theologically. It doesn't hang in the balance practically. But from a perspective of a human limited view, it hangs. Will Yahweh save? So let's read these words in verses 10 through 15. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. God, as we consider your word today, we pray your your presence, your power, your grace to be at work with us, that you would be in the preaching of this, your word, to your glory and to the good of your people. And we pray that you would press it down into our hearts into our, the very DNA of our soul, that, that we would see your great sovereign grace and power and might, that you would, you would do that work in us and illuminate our hearts to see you in the pages of your word. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The greater the threat, the greater the salvation. The greater the enemy, the greater the rescuer. The Bible presents this story to us in very vivid arcs. And these arcs, like the scene at the Red Sea, find their ultimate culmination, their ultimate fulfillment, their greatest display in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this great culmination of this arc that we are considering today 
This great culmination in Jesus, in who he is and what he has done, what he's overcome for us. It matters to our lives greatly right now. Not just in the scope of, oh, I got saved or I had an altar call or or some sort of defined moment in which you had a a, a volitional, faith-filled response to the gospel. I'm not talking simply about responding to the gospel. I mean in your everyday moments, your right nows, what we are considering here in Exodus 14, how it points forward to the whole grand scope of God's word, it matters to you right now. And our right nows are kind of complicated and strange and unsettling and wearying. I've felt this passage and what it points to about the character of God this week. Wrestled with it in my own heart and life. My hope is as we consider it together today. That it will be a timely encouragement for you as it has been for me. So let's consider this. And, and really my hope and my, my, my aim in, in, in bringing this to us today. Is that we will see the salvation of the Lord and go forward. We will see the salvation of the Lord and why that means everything and how that applies to everything and go forward. We're going to do that by, by clinging to Yahweh who saves. Clinging to the Yahweh who saves. And we're going to consider the context for salvation. Then we're going to see the call of salvation And the response to salvation. We're going to see that played out here in the story at the Red Sea. And then what I would like to do is to take those three things. Context, call, and response. And and not only see it in our story with the Red Sea. But see it in the scope of the Bible. And see it in application to our lives right now. Clinging to the Yahweh who saves. Considers the context for salvation, the call of salvation, and the response of salvation. So let's dig in. The context for salvation in Exodus 14. There is an incredibly real, imminent, serious threat on the very lives of the Hebrews who have left Egypt. This is enormous In its scope and severity. Pharaoh and his host were not going there to scoop them up and bring them back to make bricks. They were going dressed for war to slaughter them all. That's the context. The threat is real. it's, It's repeated twice in the chapter. In verses 3 and 4, and again in verses 17 and 18. Let's consider those to get the feel of what's going on. First, in verses 3 and 4 of Exodus 14. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh. 
and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And then again in verses 17 and 18, And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. You have to keep in mind in this moment that that English just kind of reads very simple. It's just it doesn't carry with it the gravitas of the moment. When it says I, they pursued them, this is an unhinged, rage-filled pursuit. This is a chasing down to slaughter. This isn't like, hey, guys, 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 no, 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 come back. No, he is dressed for battle. Pharaoh's heart is enraged. He's unhinged and he unleashes his full military might. It says that he had 600 of his best war-enhanced chariots, and then all the other chariots, and all the horsemen. They weren't sauntering after the Egyptians. They were in full march. But really, when you think about what they're marching on, they are blazing forward to catch the Hebrews. Can you imagine that wall of dust coming after a cornered, boxed-in people? And nothing but death coming in that dust wall. Where I lived before here, the first, like, two months once we got there, we lived in essentially a desert and a dust storm came in. It was terrifying. I've seen tornadoes growing up in the Midwest, had earthquakes, that's a weird feeling. But this wall, from what seemed like ground to the top of the sky, of just dust coming. Imagine then that what caused that dust was not when but enraged people set to kill. The threat was real and overwhelming. And the Hebrews, according to God's purposes, because he was going to show his glory, his might, his power, he actually sent them in to a place that was boxing them in. They were trapped. There was a sea behind them, and they were sort of corridored in to this place. And the only way in there was Pharaoh and his army fast approaching. They were boxed in with no perceivable way of escape. There was nothing that they could do. That is important for us in our passage, and that is important for us theologically when we consider our even greater threat on us, our sin. There was nothing they could do. Either the Lord was going to save them or they were all going to die. Now, imagine that scene of of all of Pharaoh and his rage and his chariots and his horses coming. Consider then verse 10 of Exodus chapter 14. When Pharaoh drew near, 
The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They feared greatly. This is the debilitating, emotional, deep-seated aspect of fear. Or another word for us, they were terrorized. They were utterly depleted with terror. They knew there was nothing that they could do. Not a thing. And they were filled with horrific fear. And yet, even then, nothing in this scene, nothing in this moment was outside Yahweh's sovereign purposes. As horrific as it seemed to the people of The Hebrews, they cried out to Moses, what have you done? You've boxed us in. We're going to die in the wilderness. It was not outside God's sovereign purposes. He's not surprised by this. As we considered in verses 3 and 4, and again reiterated in verses 17 and 18, Yahweh says, I will get the glory over them, and they shall know I am. There is, in Yahweh's perspective, a sense of finality of the victory to come over the Egyptians. A finality. Like, this is it. I've delivered you, but I'm going to also make this very, 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 very clear that I have delivered you. God is in this business of seeing his word all the way through. He will not fail. He will not let it down. He will not let his people a promise down. He will do what he says he will do. He will save his people. And that leads us then. That's the context of the saving moment of the people of God. An overwhelming enemy, an inability of the people to do anything about it. The threat is real, and it's going to take God to bring about salvation, or there is no salvation. That preaches. That's the Bible. That's what we see culminating in Jesus. That's why it's so relevant to our lives now. Here, this story of the Red Sea. It's a, it's a glimpse into the character of God. His faithfulness, His power, His grace. Shows us our inability, it shows us our need, and it also shows us how God does it. So, the call of salvation. I love verses 13 and 14. That's why we, I centered in on reading this. This is Moses' response to the people. And he says to the people, Fear not. Love that. Context, boxed in, enraged enemy. No perceivable way of escape. Without God, there's absolutely no hope. Moses standing before the people. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. No sword. No shield, no bow, no slingshot, no stones, nothing. Watch, be quiet, stand in awe of the God who saves. 
That's their part in salvation. See, be quiet. Watch what God will do. This call to see and to be silent is really a call to faith. It's a call to a specific faith. It is a call to a specific faith in Yahweh. See what the all caps Lord will do. See what Yahweh will do. The enormity of the context for salvation is only eclipsed by one thing. And that is the enormity of God's sovereign, powerful grace to save His people. His grace is greater than the imminent threat upon the people. His grace is greater than the enraged horsemen and chariots and Pharaoh. Everything about God is greater than every threat on the human soul. While we feel the context for salvation, let us not have our hearts closed off to feel the overwhelming context of our God and His grace for us, His power for us. It eclipses the context. And so here we see the powerful grace to save His people. Now we probably know how this goes. This is a story, one of those stories of the Bible that can just sort of be broadly known outside the context of the church. You kind of have a vague idea of what it was just because it sort of was in our cultural knowledge and understanding of what the Bible would tell you. It's just one of those stories that's easy to remember, right? God brought in an east wind and it, it pushed up the water in such a way that it parted the sea so that there would be dry ground for probably over a million people to cross and then all their herds and whatnot. And not only that, but you remember that dust cloud and then that fire cloud or that fire pillar, excuse me, that were leading and guiding the people. Well, God used those to shield off Pharaoh and his chariots from the people so that they could then cross on dry ground. I mean, this is like chaotic and crazy. The scene that must have been coming, happening right then must have felt like one of those crazy end-of-the-world movies that, that everything is falling apart and the ground is shaking and the waves are moving and, and fire is going from the ground to the sky and, and there are chariots and horsemen and chaos. It wasn't chaotic for God. No. The waters were divided. The people were protected. The Egyptians then were thrown into chaos when they thought they could also cross. And then the waters collapsed on the whole host of Pharaoh and everyone. Of God's enemies who were defeated. See the salvation of the Lord. And what then is the appropriate response to such a call. Israel saw, and they worshipped, and they believed. Look at the last two verses of our chapter. Verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel 
saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They saw. Did you see the connection to Moses' charge to them? He said, see this day the salvation of the Lord. And you will no longer see the Egyptians. And now, here we have sort of in a bookend way, they saw it. They saw the saving power of God. And they saw that they were not going to see those Egyptians anymore. And their response was one of fear and of faith. It's actually the same word of fear that, they, that is used earlier when they saw Pharaoh coming. But the way that it is used there, the, the grammar, if you will, the way that the Hebrew writer was using the language, was the kind of fear that you feel as in, as in like the terror and being horrifically afraid of something. It's used differently here because it's fixed on the direct object, that meaning on Yahweh. So it moves away from a terror that is felt to a reverence that is given. It is a a worship, an act of worship and recognition that God is the one. It is a recognition of His worth and His power and His might that there is no other like Him That he really is the I am. And so their hearts had a transformation. From fear of what was going to kill them. To worship of what has saved them. How incredible. That in saving. He also changed their hearts. And they believed. I mean, at this point in the story, it's like, how could you not, right? <laughs> but then if we're honest, we're, we're probably just like them, right? Well, we better be honest. We are just like them. There, I'll say it. Instead of saying it softly, I'll say it directly. We are them. We can be so distracted by the things around us, so debilitated by them. And yet here in the display of God's saving power and might over a great enemy. Their hearts are filled with worship and faith. Hebrews in the New Testament, the book Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11 is the sort of by faith chapter. This recognition of God's grace in the lives of people in the Old Testament, in which their response to God's saving work in their life was one of faith. And it's this highlighting of, hey, God is worth all of this. He's worth following. Consider how he has displayed that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the only appropriate response to all that Jesus is for us is one of faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty nine, speaking of this very moment, the New Testament interprets what the people do here in response as one of faith. By faith... The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The response to the saving work of God is faith in Him. And that faith had them go forward. Yes, remember, 
the Lord said to Moses, tell the people, of, tell the people to go forward. Faith sees the saving power of God and goes forward following Him. Hearts with the chips all in on Yahweh. And their response was that they saw the salvation of the Lord and they went forward in faith. And that brings us then to see how this so connects to the grand story of the Bible. The grand story of God's purposes for history. The grand story of them all. That the context that we face in all of history is the serious threat of our sin. Sin is greater in its threat on us than an enraged Pharaoh and his chariots and horsemen. Sin is serious more than we dare to know. And we don't want to know how serious sin is because we kind of like to domesticate it a little bit and keep it kind of in our life. Or we don't really want to know how bad sin really is. Because it makes us feel uncomfortable about the things that lurk around in our own hearts. But sin is a greater threat than than cancer and COVID and enraged pharaohs. It is the greatest threat of all. Because this is what sin is. Simply put, it is war against God. Sin is war against God. Sin is like the enraged pharaoh warring against God. It rejects God. His character, His worth, His works, His ways, His word. It wants to live as if God doesn't exist. And it will take down anything and anyone along the way. And that sin, that war against God that we don't want to really think or admit to is lingering around in our own hearts. That sin has impacted all of our faculties. What do I mean by that? It means this. Kids to adults. Sin has impacted the way we think. Sin has impacted the way we feel. And sin has impacted the way we live. Nothing about us escapes the impact of sin. And that sin is war against God. What and how we think and feel and live is on war against God. And to go on war against God is to go up against certain devastating loss. Like the Hebrews boxed in at the Red Sea. If it weren't for God, that was a devastating loss that they were about to experience. And sin, being war against God, deserves God to deal with it. God will deal justly with war against himself. He is Holy and perfect and righteous and true. And he's those things always. Never not those things. School hasn't started. Sin deserves God's justice. That's what it earns. That's what it earns. And yet, most remarkably... Most amazingly, most unexpectedly, greater than an east wind parting a sea, God 
doesn't pour out His justice on sinners who deserve it. God pours out His justice on a Savior who takes it for those sinners. See the salvation of our Lord. As Paul asks in Romans 7 verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will save me from this imminent death of mine, this sin-wrought death? And And the answer is in the very next sentence. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The mighty, sovereign, gracious power of God on display, rescuing us from an enormous enemy and threat to our souls, sin is on display in the person and work of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. The life that Jesus lived for us, he lived perfectly in our place. The death that He died for us on a cross, He died in our place, paying in full all that was owed because of our war against God. And the victory that He has over death, over sin, over Satan, on display in His resurrection, is the displaying of all that I did on the cross is in full acceptance and payment there is nothing left to owe and here is the coupon or excuse me here is the receipt of that payment it is my resurrection over the dead how do i know and can stand up here with great confidence to know that all of my sin is paid in full is because jesus rose from the tomb death is the wage of sin And if death is defeated, the wages are paid. No more is left for me to face. This is staggering, heart-wrenching in the best of ways. The greater the enormity of his power is on display in his life, death, and resurrection. That is the grand story of God's purposes in all of history. That is there in Exodus chapter 14. And that thread expands and explodes and leads us to see it in full measure in Jesus. And that thread that we have here in Exodus 14 and expands and explodes in the person and work of Jesus is the same thread that is wound tight around your life right now. That same God who brought that incredible victory over Egypt and that incredible victory over sin is the same God in your life Right now. Right in this very moment. The context of salvation and the call of salvation and the response to salvation in our lives right now is hugely significant. This is where we see salvation is relevant in our everydays, in our right nows. Our context is one of this. We live in very unsettled and strange and chaotic days. Right now, 
we feel the range of emotions from anxiety to anger to apathy. We may even feel hopeless and uncertain. These are the things that we wrestle with. We look at our world. We see two raging fires burning California down. We see two hurricanes hurling themselves straight to the Gulf. We see a divided nation around politics and race. And we see the whole everything that's all wrapped up in this COVID and all of the various responses. And all of it is tumultuous and chaotic. And you still don't even know exactly what two weeks from now are going to look like, let alone what the school year for you families. And all of this is swirling around. And we get angry, or we get anxious, or we get apathetic because we're so tired of it. I know this week I battled all of those feelings. Feeling unsettled and uncertain and strange as I look at challenges to ministry. As I look at caring for my family. As I look at the longing of my own heart. I know the temptation to anxiety and to anger or to apathy. And just, hey, let's just mail it in and see you guys in 2022. And so I think, and maybe you do too, in moments like right now, how does this salvation I have in Christ mean anything right now? Because right now I feel overwhelmed, frustrated. Well, let me say it this way first. See the salvation of the Lord and go forward. See on display in God's saving work for you a endless treasure trove of grace and mercy for all of your days, not just your, the, the day you decided to follow Jesus. See at the cross a power far greater than the chaos and unsettled and strangeness of our days today. Because what we need to do is take our hearts and run it to what is ultimate and then bring it back to what is practical. If, and we have to maybe do this to our hearts every day and that's okay. If God has overcome the greatest threat on my very being, my sin and death, and Satan. If, if he's overcome that, then, and that's the greatest possible threat I could ever face, then all the other threats and challenges and obstacles and uncertainties and strangeness in our very lives are no match for his grace and his power at work in our weakness. No match. If death loses to Jesus, so will these unsettling days, these strange days. So will the anger in our hearts or the apathy in our hearts. If the cross accomplishes the greatest salvation ever, that same God didn't go through all of that to leave you languishing. In your right nows. He has more for you. Than you could possibly. Ever imagine. In his grace. The author of. Paul the author of Ephesians says. He lavishes it on us.
because of this incredible salvation secured for us in Christ, knowing that it is a full and final and forever salvation, that nothing can undo it, overcome it, we can go forward in this life, in all of the circumstances, in all of its challenges. So maybe you're saying, how do I, how do I see the salvation of the Lord and go forward in my life right now? Well, you have to set your heart in that direction. I'm going to give just a simple, practical way of doing a big principle. The big principle is you have to saturate your heart with the truth of God. And you have to fillet your heart open with the Lord who saves and calls you his own. So you do that through word and prayer. I know. (laughs) Innovative. So let me just give you a very practical thing. Most of you have one of these. And most of you probably have one of these sitting like right there next to you when you go to sleep. Little table next to your bed, right? Be honest, it's okay. I do. I do. Get a little, go to the store and get a 150 pack sticky note. And on that sticky note, write, see the salvation of the Lord and go forward. Put it on your phone and go to bed. I know, this is silly. I get it. It's, it's tediously practical. I get it. Write, see the salvation of your Lord and go forward on it. So that when that alarm goes off in the morning, instead of opening it up and see, having your heart shaped by social media or the news or that game you want to play or whatever it is that you do when you first wake up, all the emails... All of life ready to get you, right? Don't do it. Don't do that. That sticky note is calling you to set your heart and your affections and your head and your very life on the God who has displayed a great salvation and who is worth everything that you are and have and who has for you more than you could possibly imagine. That you are called to go forward. And you're going forward. Is a setting your head and your heart on the God who has saved you. So pick up your Bible. Pick up your devotional. Grab a new morning mercies by Paul David Tripp. Whatever it might be. And set your heart on the God who saves. And go forward. Allow that to shape you. In the midst of strange and unsettling days. See there in the cross. See there in Jesus. One who has grace and power for you in your weakness. Start your day. Close your day even. As you write that new note and put it on your phone. Go to bed saying, I have a God who saves. And I want my life to go forward. Help me rest in my heart, and in my body as I sleep. And when I rise, help me see the salvation of the Lord and enable me to go forward. The Lord who has rescued his people from an unhinged Pharaoh 
and who has rescued his people from the overwhelming oppression of sin is the same Lord who is with you now. Set your heart on him. See the salvation of your Lord and go forward. God, we pray that you would do just that. That you would enliven our hearts to rest happy in you and to set our thoughts and affections on you. That we would want to know you and to live for you. That our hearts and our lives would be shaped just by ever-expanding view of your grace and mercy for us in Christ. That we would indeed be a people who see the salvation of our Lord and go forward. God, would you do that? Would you do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.